Altitude's undefeated. Crap, maybe we'll punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I don't think I was running in the stand <laughs> to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line. My name is Matt Pollard, and it's Wednesday, March 8th, 2023. CCL Fever is back, though Austin FC didn't get the memo as Amrotarik scored a hilarious own golasso. The Philadelphia Union got a nil-nil draw against Alianza with some help from a pitch-invading dog, hashtag dupe doggo, and the Colorado Rapids still haven't scored a goal this season without Diego Rubio, but Darren Yappi keeps trying. I'm joined now by a man who's here to debate whether or not that ball was in, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Oh, that ball was in. I mean, both of the balls was in. Ambro Tarek's ball was in, uh, the, the, the goals that, uh, that Milan scored were in uh, in the Champions League uh, today. Uh, poor PSG, you spend that much money. The entire country of Qatar dropping uh, a quarter of its uh, gross domestic products just try and get uh, a champion, uh, a Champions League trophy. And then on top of that, uh, you get the the Darren Yappy shots that should have gone in. Shots, 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 and then they don't go in. It, it was. It was a regrettable, disappointing, uh, if you are a PSG, a Rapids fan, or um, someone who likes non-Ongolazos. That's what I think, Matt. <laughs> Matt, you want to set us up for for CCL fever and what was going on down in Haiti? That's crazy, by the way. That's, a, I think, in my memory, that's the first time a Haitian team has been in CCL. Matt, you probably know off the top of your head if or when a Haitian team has ever been in CCL. Um, don't look it up online. Don't Google it, Matt. Just tell me, has a Haitian team ever been in CCL? And more importantly, have they ever won a game in CCL, to your memory? Uh, I don't know the answer to any of those questions, Mark. I believe Haiti did have either a qualifier, so like a one-game, like two-leg, or a one-round, two-leg knockout, or an automatic berth into the old CCL group stage. So I know for a fact in the previous iteration of CCL, we have had teams in CCL from Haiti in the group stage. Um, I'd have to believe in the history of the tournament, there's been at least one Haitian team that's made it through to the knockouts to the round of 16. I couldn't tell you if that... Violetta becomes the first team from Haiti to win a CCL match. That's that's the quick Google's answer. So, But that that's cheating, by the way. Matt, I assume Matt, as the, the oracle of all things soccer and one who either doesn't do any substances to damage his brain to uh, remove uh, memory or just has incredible powers of recall and memory. Matt's going to remember all these things off the top of his head. I googled, folks, but that's the answer that I got. It's the first ever win in CCL by a Haitian team. Mm-hmm. Buddhism. Uh, but they're going to follow it up in Austin. It's going to be, they're going to win, they're going to, they're going to win 4 nil in, in Texas town. Buddhism, right mind, Mark. Uh, do not, nice. yes, don't, don't get yourself, uh, don't, put yourself in a wrong mindset although i do do that on weekends with alcohol consumption occasionally but so uh, mark let's go through it then 
Um, so we are recording this on Wednesday, folks. We're currently in the 15th minute of Vancouver Whitecaps in their first leg matchup against uh, Real España, so I can't speak to that. Now, obviously, we are recording prior to the Alajuelense game against LAFC, which will be on Thursday, but at time of recording, Mark, we have one, two, three MLS teams that have played in CCL so far. The aforementioned Austin FC, um, who got black and blued by Violetta by a score of 3-0, with that third goal being the own goal from Amro Tark. Philadelphia Union got a nil-nil draw, and then Orlando survived. I'd say a lackluster performance, Mark, from a decent Tigres team that just could not get the job done in the final third at uh, at Estadio Universario. So Orlando with a decent chance coming back for the home leg and everything to get a result. I have to think Philly was definitely playing for a nil-nil draw at the Scotland. They're going to go in and probably smash it. Um, Mark, I don't know if you've heard, there's actually some interesting, there's some visa and um, passport issues with Violetta that would potentially bring into question whether or not they could bring a full side or like have a proper starting 11 for that second leg. And how we're in this situation in CCL when they've known that they were going to have this situation like six months ago is so it's almost as CONCACAF as a dog running onto the pitch. But guys, guys, apply for your passport six months before your trip and make sure your passport is valid for six months after your entry into a country. That's just basic. Everybody who travels knows this. If you have three people who work in the staff for a team, one of the three of them should know that. If you have a staff of 20, two of those people should know it. Come on, guys. I mean, unless... If you have one player who does not have a Haitian passport, who's an international player for the team and everything, you should know that. But in any case, Mark, I I, I think that makes Austin Violetta a wild card because technically wouldn't uh. that mean if they can't play, it's a 3-0, like that's the default for FIFA. And then ultimately then we're tied. Like, do you have to go, do they have to go back to <laughs> Haiti to play the actual extra time? What does it goes to, it goes to PKs that need to be taken midway between Austin and and Haiti. So that means that we, the United States government needs to uh, supply an aircraft carrier in the Gulf of Mexico for a penalty shootout to take place. I think that's written in the CCL rules. Um, either that or Don Garber and the uh, uh, premier slash president of Haiti arm wrestle for who gets to go through. I'm pretty sure that's also in the CCL rules. One of the two. I wouldn't take Don Garber in an arm wrestling match against anyone. I mean, the guy looks like he works out a little bit, but he also looks like he could grin his way through any meeting without actually having to do any physical labor. So, you know, I assume that his hands are very supple and have never worked in a day, day in, in his life. And I'm not saying that because Don Garber won't accept any uh, invitations to my house for Shabbat dinner. It's not it's not personal, Don. Your hands just look soft. That's all all it is. Where am I going with this? What's going on, Matt? What am I talking about? Rabbi, I think we probably agree. <laughs> Philly probably advances by a large aggregate scoreline against Alianza in the home leg back in Chester, Pennsylvania. Should be pointed out, folks, earlier today at time of recording, Leon got a 1-0 victory over Taro. So I have to imagine they're going to come home back to Mexico yeah. and smash things. So good news for the former club of Marcelo Balboa in Champions League. And then an interesting matchup here, Mark. Olympia with a 4-1 win over Atlas. They're going back to Guadalajara for the second leg as well. I don't know that much about Atlas's team to know whether or not they rotated the squad heavily, but I think that's enough of a buffer that even when we see like these 1-0 or these 0-0 or, you know, when, um, you know, randomly, oh, what's the... 
uh, what's the Costa Rican team that everybody always talks about in this one? Um, that's got the uh, that's got like the burgundy, like brownish color and everything that I can't remember the name of. Someone's probably screaming at me about it. They'll get like a they'll gut out a nil nil and then score a goal on a corner in the 93rd minute and then find a way to lose five nil back in Mexico as well. So I think that one's in doubt. Um, Mark, we obviously don't have time to talk about Vancouver yet. So Rabbi Orlando going back nil nil against Tigres and then LAFC who looked very good in the first half against Portland over the weekend. Them against Alajuelense. What do you think about those two? And do you like an MLS team winning CCL this year? I like uh, LAFC going through against Alajuelense, although Alajuelense are always a tough team to play. Uh, I don't know anything about Real España, uh, except that they don't play in Spain. That's pretty much all I can tell you about that team. Um, but yeah, this is this might be a good year for all four uh, MLS teams to make it through the first round. I think the strongest team in the tournament is Pachuca. They are playing Motagua, Motagua. Gua, gu, gua, gua. I don't really know the Motagüe team um, at all, but Pachuca were um, the champions of the Clausera last year, I think, or maybe the they weren't the Apertura champs. Um, I'm not really sure uh, what the story was last year, but anyways, that's that's they were a very strong team last year. I think they were the. Yeah. So anyhow, that's 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 my favorite because um, Pachuca year in and year out are, are quite good. So we'll see how it, it plays out. Um, that would be my pick uh, overall. But wow, Austin really pooped the bed last night um, in quite a disappointing way. Um, you know, LAFC is probably the strongest team uh, on balance to go all the way through. The question is whether they're going to want to set up like Seattle did last year where they put all their eggs into the basket of CCL or whether they're going to put in a good effort on the season. Um, they are typically a deep enough team that they can play in both tournaments, both the MLS Cup and the, um, the, or the MLS regular season and CCL, but nobody's really ever done it. I mean, the last team to really put strong effort into both seasons, I think, was the year that Toronto went deep, deep, deep against um, Tigres. And that was, to my mind, the greatest um, CCL uh, tournament I've ever watched. The, the The whole romp that Toronto made through the playoffs was was epic. Seattle was great. I mean, all the all their matches last year were wonderful to watch, and they and they won. But um, they they didn't actually look like they were playing the strongest teams in the Western Hemisphere, uh, whereas Toronto looked like they were matching up against juggernauts. But I digress. Point being, uh, I think a Pachuca LAFC semi or final would be totally um, enjoyable and highly expected. Tigres may just not have gotten out of first gear against Orlando. We'll have to we'll have to see how they go. They, they, they usually come up bigger later on, but they're a little older and creakier team than they used to be. They're they're just not quite as strong as they they were in past years. Yeah, I think the I think who the, I think it's likely that second round the quarterfinal matchup mark between Pachuca and Tigres. I think whoever wins that leg probably goes to the final on that bracket. And I think it's set up really well for the winner of Orlando Orlando and LAFC to play each other at some point as well to make it. So I do think we will have an MLS versus Liga MX final again this year like we have had for the last couple of years. I do not think an MLS team wins it in this one. Um, you took Pachuca, so for the sake of being a contrarian rabbi, I think Tigres gets 
gets their act together, beats up mm. on the Lions, and then the Tigers are the biggest cat in the tournament and ultimately come out winning it. I'll say against Philly. I think Philly gets their gets their playoff revenge against LAFC in the semifinal on the other side of the bracket. <clears throat> and then one quick correction for myself. My apologies. Deportivo Saprissa was the club that I was trying to think of as well. So my apologies to El Monstruo Morato, um, which are my Costa Rican team, Mark, but I somehow managed to forget them. Fantastic logo, fantastic crest, just not in this iteration of the CCL knockout stage. And to my point, um, Pachuca were the Clausura uh, 2022 champions. Tigres finished as runners-up. Atlas were third. And then in the Apertura, it was Club America. Um, but for whatever reason, the Apertura winner from 2021 does not get to qualify for the tournament. So it's Pachuca, Tigres, Atlas, um, and I guess... Who's the who's the, and Leon? Wait, why is Le, oh Leon must have won the domestic cup? That must be why they're there, yes, because they didn't win the Apertura or the Clausura. In fact, on paper they're the weakest club. They're currently sitting in seventh, and last year, uh, it, it uh, and and the season before that, the Apertura and the early part of the year, they finished tenth with a losing record and um, didn't qualify for the playoffs. So. Leon are, are pretty – well, they qualified for the, the early end of the playoffs, but they didn't qualify for the finals of the playoffs. So, anyhow, uh, we're excited for Marcelo Bobo that his team is there, but on paper, they look like paper lions. All right, Mark, we're almost 15 minutes in the episode, and we haven't even discussed anything <laughs> – it's related but that's what we do so much to the chagrin of most of our listeners folks we're now going to try and make some sense and discuss and analyze the colorado rapids nil nil draw against sporting kansas city in last saturday's home opener at the richard uh mark just one lineup change that you had from seattle steven betasher in at left back for alex gershbach not too surprised for that for me given that uh that would have been gershbach's first week training at altitude he joined the team in orlando Jack Price and Diego Rubio were once again out, and Kevin Cabral was once again on the bench. I've got some thoughts on that, Rabbi, but the Rapids come out, and they're coming out of the breaks, Mark, and I was convinced 30 minutes in, there's an alternate reality where Darren Yappi has a hat trick, but it wasn't to be a minute in. He gets in on a breakaway set up by Cole Bassett, but John Polskamp, Big Bear, as he's known by Sporting Kansas City fans, comes off his line and makes a really good save. Controversial moments in... The 13th minute when Barrios whips in a cross in transition after an SKC free kick. Nicholson takes a mistouch battling with Zussi inside the six-yard box. Naranyapi is able to tap it in. Alan Chapman goes to the monitor and by a VAR determines that that play was offside and the goal is disallowed. Then in the 27th minute, you had the goal line controversy in which Cole Bassett crosses the ball in. Yappi goes for a header. Pulse camp goes to dive. The two of them collide. The ball bounces around, goes right up against the goal line. It's ultimately cleared. Does not go to the monitor. No uh, review instituted in terms of VAR took a look and Chapman was talking to him. Ultimately not a video review and ultimately a play that could have been overturned in that regard. Sporting Kansas City grow into the game after that and really are the better team for me for the final 10 minutes. A couple corners back to back that ultimately weren't that threatening. Um, and then Mark, it was kind of turned around in the second half where the game slowed down. There was less action, but still 
a fewer number of opportunities, but bigger opportunities for the teams involved. William Yarbrough standing on his head with a couple of double saves on multiple occasions. First in the 62nd minute, he denies Tommy, and then Agata, who was ruled offside, that goal would not have stood. Ronan finds Bassett in the gap in the 67th minute, and Polskamp is able to make a save. Another really good play, timing and positioning, and coming off his line from Big Bear, and then probably the big save of the night from a rapid standpoint. Eric Tommy with a direct free kick. Yarbrough makes a diving save and then Shallowy gets on the rebound and Yarbrough is able to make the double save there. Um, and then Yarbrough makes another save on Shallowy who gets around Maxhu in the 86th minute. And Mark kind of unenthusiastically from the 70th minute on, I was like, this game's ending nil-nil. And guess what? It ended nil-nil. Um, Rabbi, I'll go I'll go Rabbi's choice in this one. Good bag or big? Where do you want to start? Uh... I'll start good just because I love when we go in order. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's because it's, it's a throwback to two seasons ago when we didn't mix and match and, and make a mess of everything. I thought the team uh, defended a lot better against Seattle. They, they, they closed spaces better. They were organized better. They struck on the counter a lot better. I mean, the first minute they were all over on a fantastic counter where they got a ball up to Darren Yappi, who ultimately um, put a put a big chance on goal there. So I thought that that was really good. I thought um, another good thing, of course, that you would have to be uh, completely incapable of understanding how what a soccer game looks like to not have observed, but. Uh, William Yarbrough had a big game. I mean, he had a really, really good game. He made 11 saves. Um, granted, uh, SKC had 17 shots, and their expected goals on the night was just 0.69. Um, so that's not like a tremendous amount of XG produced from their 17 shots. But uh, if you watch the replay... Um, or if you watch the game and you saw the saves that he made, he made some big, big saves. In meaning, they took uh, see, uh, uh, Sporting took some really uh, far off or difficult shots, but they really tested Yarborough. I mean, I think that there were at least four of them that I thought were ticketed for goal that he made really excellent saves on, which also speaks to the fact that Yarborough is a master of positioning. He knows where to stand. I mean, it's hard unless you watch a lot of goalkeeping to understand goalkeeping. But one of the things you'll notice is that if a goalkeeper is set up, you know, six inches to his right or six inches to his left of what have, would have been the optimal positioning, positioning, he's in a much worse spot to make that save. And I think Yarbrough is almost always in exactly the right spot. Um, you know, to the point that Zach McMath... Back in the day, that was one of his kind of Achilles heels. He was Zach McMath was always an excellent reaction goalkeeper. Um, his distribution out of the back was better than Tim Howard's towards the end of his career, but worse than other good goalkeepers. But Yarbrough is just in the right place at the right time to set up to make the save, um, which is necessary, especially for older goalkeepers who begin to decline and aren't able to make the the difficult reaction sh- save. So great goalkeeping. Um, and, and, a, and a better, tighter, more consistent, more well-distributed offense all around. Matt, where do you want to go with this? What were the, maybe I've teed it up for you in an easy way. What were maybe some of the bad things that this team um, didn't quite do so well in this match against Kansas City? Do I not want to start with my good things, Mark? 
Matt, you you really want it? Oh, I forgot. That's how we do this. It's been we've only done this for five seasons, Matt. You have to excuse me for making mistakes. Much like the Rapids, folks, we here at Holding the High Line are in preseason form with our rundowns. Now that we've got <laughs> a game to recap and then a game to preview every single week. So, um, you start at the back with Yarbrough. I'll end with Yarbrough, but um, let me start at the front. Mark uh, Darren Yappy was creating chances, and much as we want to malign the Rapids offense for lack of finishing, which I think is a fair criticism, as much as we want to complain that the Pids have yet to score a goal through two games so far this season, I'd be much more concerned if they weren't creating chances. And they're doing this again without Diego Rubio, with Kevin Cabral potentially com- uh, coming off the bench as well. They're throwing the kids out there in some difficult situations with some responsibility for them, and they're creating chances. Cole Bassett was good, I think, from a link-up play standpoint. I thought Connor Ronan was good as a distributing number six. I've been really impressed with what he's done with the position, even though he's playing it slightly different from how Jack Price plays it, Mark. And I think he's also playing it in a way where you look at what's he, what he tries to do in the half spaces from a movement standpoint. He's a little bit of a bulldog when he gets on the ball. He doesn't give it up. There's some darling Ting Nagby traits from him as well. And I'm really excited to see with the anchor of Jack Price in front of um, in front of Ronan as the 8-6 and then Bassett as the 8-10 as well. That being a force multiplier for Cole Bassett in ways that I think unfortunately uh, Ralph Prizzo has been unable to be. And I thought Max did an okay job, um, certainly from an attacking standpoint. I think the, the shape was a little bit off and the pressure was a little bit off in the second half that allowed SKC to just take a deep breath and really control things. But Yappi's creating chances. Like I mentioned in, a, in another reality, Yappi has a hat trick. I think in most of the Rapids multiverse. Darren Yappi has at least one goal, even if we're going back to, you know, that second minute chip on Stefan Fry back in Seattle. So I was impressed with that. That is a incremental improvement from where we were in Seattle. Another incremental improvement that I really liked was Lal Sububakar and I thought Andreas Maxu. Both of them were much, much cleaner defensively. They played it out. They didn't mess around or anything. That lesson was learned and well understood from the game in Seattle. And in that regard, the only real second opportunities that Sporting got was when they got a corner that was played out safely that couldn't have been easily cleared for the team to step up or from a shot that was old ultimately a double save by Yarbrough. So I liked that overall from the two center backs. I'd like to see that for 90 minutes as opposed to for like 61 minutes or something like that. Um, in addition to that, Mark, um, what you were saying about Yarbrough, um, he was team of the week honors. It feels like it's been a while since a Rapids goalkeeper has gotten there as well. And then according to FB ref, Yarbrough has so far in this MLS season through two weeks, he has the second best post-shot XG minus goals against save. So that's effectively how you deal with once the actual shot is taken, how is the goalkeeper dealing with that, which maybe shows the level of acrobatness or difficulty of the save or their movement from that. So someone, a goalkeeper who is well positioned, Mark, who then makes a potentially difficult save, a routine save, would have a lower PS xg minus ga versus a goalkeeper that has poor positioning but then makes an excellent save as well so in that stat yarbrough had a plus 1.6 and then the only better one that you had from that was from uh zach mcmath the aforementioned former colorado rapids goalkeeper who had plus 2.0 i believe this past weekend so yarbrough had a great performance and mark what a statement for yarbrough to make the day after Illich gets cleared from a visa standpoint to join the team, presumably Tuesday of this week, folks, in their first training session they had back at Field 20 was the first time that Illich trade with his teammates. And what a statement from Yarbrough to go from letting
shooting and four goals in Seattle where I can't really say that any one of them was really his fault or the majority his fault to make a fantastic performance like that team of the week clean sheet and all of that everything to maybe give Robin Frazier something to think about Robin loves competition and Yarbrough clearly showing that he's potentially up for that whether or not he can continue that mark is a valid question for me because we saw at times last year where Yarbrough had a fantastic performance and everything then he would maybe follow that up with a dud or he wouldn't do a good job from a distribution standpoint or he wouldn't organize the defense in front of them to where then they'd get shellacked and everything. So that's something that I'd be looking for should Yarbrough get the start again against San Jose. Mark, dare I say it was a good thing that VAR got it right. Let's let's transition this into talking about the officiating. I think very clearly, Darren Yappi on the ball that he that we know for a fact hit the back of the net, he was off snides in that play because the ball comes into the box. And then at that point, I think Zussi gets a touch. Sam Nicholson from the replay absolutely gets a touch. So you can't say that cross from Barrios and then Zussi effectively back passing it to Yappi is not valid for offside. I think it's valid. Sam Nicholson clearly gets a touch on that. And then even though I think it was Fontas, I can't remember which center back had a touch on it as well. The fact that Yappi was in an offside position affecting the players around him, the defender who obviously went to immediately play the ball because Yappi was in that area and the goalkeeper as well, who had to come off his line as well. If nothing else, that is an indirect offside. There's no question for me that one was offsides where I think there's a valid argument here, Mark. And really the argument is for Hawkeye or some other form of goal line technology or a goal line camera is I have not seen a definitive screenshot or replay from an angle one way or the other that shows whether or not that ball actually crossed the line. The screenshot that was circulating through social media that the Rapids had tweeted out and everything and got sent to me um, a few times as well. Um, the ball actually, so the ball is like on the line and then like it goes up in the air and then appears to go in the direction slightly more away uh, towards the back of the net. So I think there's a valid question there. I don't know that it's obvious, Mark. I think Alan Chapman was in a really good position as the center referee to take a look at that. I think the AR was obviously on the goal line and in a really good position to look at that as well. I think they were in the best position as you could be and the most trained people certainly in the stadium who could have made a play, who could have made a call on that in real time. And in that regard, I think the fact that VAR did not have an angle that showed whether or not it was clear and obvious that it was a goal, the fact that Alan Chapman did not go to the monitor, I think was a appropriate implementation of VAR. If we look at um, soccer Photog Rememetry, aka the nice gentleman. Um, this is at Offsides Modeling. Uh, has knows where all the cameras are and then uses geometry and computers to model the actual screenshot mark. Um, he's showing that the ball is roughly overlapping with the goal line by one eighth of an inch. That is within his margin of error, and so effective, effectively, he cannot say whether or not it was a goal. Mark, I guess before we transition into the bad things, say what you want to say about the officials, and then we can go into bad stuff. No, I didn't. I, I thought the, the the officiating was fine. Um, the early yellow card was a little annoying, but uh, you know that's really mostly on the Rapids. Same with the yellow card on Kevin Cabral, but that was pretty much count on on Kevin Cabral. Um, uh, you know, my 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 beef with the um, that goal that went from Sam Nicholson to Darren Yappi to offsides was probably just that I felt like like. Sam Nicholson should have gotten a clean shot on goal. And I think, um, you know, foot mob and, um, all of the, 
calculators that determine uh, player grades agrees with me and that they gave um, Sam Nicholson uh, the lowest grade of any player on the team with a 6.0, which brings me to the bad thing, which is Sam wasn't great. Uh, it's the second week of not being great. It, it, it's it, it's definitely a situation where I think everyone in Rapids universe knows that like Sam Nicholson is effectively the backup to Jonathan Lewis. And if Jonathan Lewis hadn't sprained his ankle, he'd be out on that field. But I think right now we're we're very much as Rapids fans feeling that the injuries to this team show that the depth is not there, which tells us that like, all right, man, you know, we've got no Price, we've got no Rubio, we've got no Lewis. I think there's a lot of Rapids fans out there who don't think that Lewis is the solution or the greatest thing since sliced bread or whatever. I also think there's a lot of Rapids fans who are like hashtag free Kevin Cabral because they, they keep seeing Michael Barrios start week after week and they're wondering whether he's a solution there. You know, you're, you're very much right on Darren Yappi in terms of like he could have had a hat trick, but the, uh, there's the other side of that, which is goal scorers score goals and finishing matters and Yappi didn't finish. And he had some chances that he probably should have done better with. Um, Cole Bassett had a chance that he probably should have done better with too. But overall, he was very good. Um, and the other thing I'll say is, and this is I know it's a good thing, Matt. But but if you can you can give me a break here because I didn't talk as much in the first segment. Um, Connor Ronan had another game where he was very very good and fun to watch. Um, he's I think Rapids fans in just two games have picked up his brand. Right? He's the thing that's cool about him is that Max was a dribbler who wasn't an effective passer or shooter. Um, and in the midfield, um, you know, uh, Price is a ridiculously good passer who's not a particularly dangerous dribbler. And the thing that makes Connor Ronan really great is that you can't sleep on on him as a dribbler, right? As a defender, you can't stand off and block a passing lane because you think that he's going to make that dangerous pass because then he'll use the extra space that you've given him and dribble on you, right? And the opposite is true. You can't mark him extremely closely because he has the danger of blowing right by you. And that makes Ronan a really valuable player. And he also defends pretty well. So I know I'm saying good things when we're supposed to be in bad thing, but like the entire front line of Nicholson, Yappi, and Barrios hasn't worked in two weeks it's been a problem. Um, it's mostly about their finishing ability. And um, that's kind of, uh, uh, you know, a, a frustration because this game really was there for the taking, you know, based both based on expected goals, based on kind of sporting's lack of ability to really create a lot of danger, especially in the first half. Um, and based on the fact that Yarborough made all the saves he was supposed to make, this probably should have gone down as a 2-0 win for the Rapids and they just didn't get it done. Yeah, no, well said there, Mark. And if I look at the if I look at the XG according to MLSsoccer.com, Mark, what do I have? 1.8 for the Colorado Rapids and 0.7 for Sporting Kansas City. But we've talked about this in the past where XG isn't necessarily wrong, folks, but number numbers never lie, but they don't always tell the full story. Mark, mm-hmm. the best chance that you had for 
Sporting Kansas City would have been that rebound shot for Agata that had a 14.75 chance of going in. So again, would you rather have, you know, would you rather have one penalty or would you rather have seven or eight shots that have a 10% chance of going in? And I typically would want the higher, you know, I'd want the open goal like you should absolutely finish that. And the Rapids unquestionably had three of those. The breakaway for Darren Yappi had a 36% chance for go- of going in. The chance for Cole Bass in the second half in the 67th minute was a 45% chance and then actually the highest quality chance because ultimately the one that was a goal line was a low quality one because of where Pulse Camp was positioned relative to where the shot was taken and then the offsides one technically isn't even in XG because it was an invalid play. The best chance was actually Mark one that I didn't mention in the rundown that I don't think Apple even had in their seven minute highlights which was the one where Yappi stretched in it just like he barely gets a touch on it and it goes wide of the of the far post and everything that that was had a 50 percent 50.13 percent chance that's better than a coin flip of going in so to your point mark and cole said this post game and everything we need to be ruthless diego rubio is ruthless i think kevin cabral can become ruthless we saw mark cole bassett's last year with the with the colorado rapids in 2021 and everything i think opta had the stat that he hit the post more times than any other player in mls as well yappy's young player again i think one of those goes in and then i think he'll breathe a sigh of relief he'll get over the duck and everything and then i think he can settle in and to that point you know the the joke on on uh on bassett was that he the the People were calling him Pole Bassett because he hit the post so often. I would like him to shake that moniker. I mean, I think that that this year that he he comes back chastened and humbled, and he has so much to prove. And his first game uh, wasn't super great, and his second game was solid but unspectacular, including a missed opportunity. He had one of the three Rapids big chances that went begging. Um, so yeah, he needs to be ruthless. Is the is the point. Matt, did you, you were in the post game and Cole Bassett was the one player interview. Is that, is that correct? Did he have anything interesting else to say other than that? Yeah, we had Cole and we had uh, Andreas Mekshu. Um, Folks, I'm a little underwhelmed is not the right word for compared to the other players that we've met Mark in MLS who are coming from Scandinavia. Andreas openly admitted his English is not that good. So some of his answers were <laughs> well understood but oh, the, the, he they made sense but they were a little bit simpler hopefully that gets a little bit better you know we played the audio from Kevin Cabral a couple weeks earlier and I think clearly in coming in with the Rapids his English was much better than how he was with the media but to answer your question about Cole Mark you know he he mentioned um, you know we needed to be ruthless happy with the chance creation but it was it was two points dropped more than it was one point on the board um, he mentioned and I would agree with Cole on this one that there's there's some concern and there's some urgency in terms of improvement but there's not necessarily panic right now. Mark, how many points did the Colorado Rapids have through two games in 2021? Ugh, I don't remember. It was one I, point. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, we only have one? I thought we had three. We didn't win the second game? No. We lost to LAFC badly, and then the second game was what? Oh, well, this was 2021, Mark, so when they won the Western Conference. Oh, 2021. Sorry. But am I right about last year? Last year we were like, we had one point? We had a draw in our second game, or no? We had I, no. I think they. I think they won the home opener against Atlanta or Sporting Kansas City. But so point oh, is, folks, yeah. the, year, 
the year that the Rapids won the Western Conference, they got a nil-nil draw at FC Dallas, and we all felt great about that because of what usually happens when the Pids go to Frisco, Texas. And then they came home, Mark, to Austin FC in their second game ever as a team, and the Rapids lost 3-1 when they gave up like three goals in like 12 minutes in the second half, everything. So my point is, some perspective is needed. I am concerned about this team. I think the sooner they get healthier, the better. I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet. They had a really bad game at Seattle with a bunch of issues. They fixed that immediately in the next game. That defense, you have to think, is only going to get better with more time, more continuity, trying to embed in new players, potentially a new goalkeeper starting this Saturday at San Jose as well. Jack Price gets better. The team's possession gets better. The defense gets better. Diego Rubio gets better. The chance creation and the chance finishing will get better. And, you know, Cole Bassett scores a goal. He probably breathes a sigh of relief. Darren Yappi scores a goal. He breathes a sigh of relief. Then we're feeling much better about the attack. Mark, Another two bad things that I want to mention, I'll I'll just briefly mention that I felt like the Rapids, once they kind of, once Sporting Kansas City kind of weathered that storm through 30 minutes in, they adjusted better and the game kind of slowed down. And it's not clear to me why the Rapids didn't adjust to SKC's adjustments to try and outdo that or overcome that in some way. I thought the subs were a little bit late. And then I thought even on the field in the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, I'm not really sure what the message was from a rapid standpoint to where what they were doing. And then it kind of speaks to Mark normally when a game has gone in favor of Sporting Kansas City and that they were happy with the draw and the Rapids were sad with the draw. That's been a situation where Peter Vermees outcoaches Robin Frazier. And I cannot say that about very many coaches in this league. Very few coaches I can say consistently have outcoached Robin head-to-head Rapids versus their team as well. Mark, Ralph Prizzo subbed off at halftime. We weren't super impressed with him in Seattle. Um, He's a bulldog. He's very physical. He can be physical against Roger Espinosa when it's needed. I'm not really sure what he's doing from a defensive shape standpoint. It's not really obvious to me what he brings from an attacking standpoint. To your point, Mark, about concerns about the depth, I'm concerned there's not a lot of depth on the wing right now if Cabral's not a starter and if Lewis isn't there. Barrios is over the hill. And I think we know what Sam Nicholson is and isn't at this point. He might be Nicholas Mosquito level. Mark, I'm concerned. I, I'm just I'm wondering what's going on at midfield, given what we've heard positively about Max coming out of preseason, and given maybe the concerns about what this team looks like if Ronan has to play the six with Jack Price being unavailable, forcing Ralph Prizzo in a position where maybe he's a little youthfully naive to be starting that role. Yeah, I, my concerns are related but different, and they're not new, and they're semi-directed at Robin Frazier, which is I don't think Robin Frazier. Uh, values a strong, physical, defense-minded defensive midfielder as much as I would. Because I think Max is an, a, an attacking option, but not necessarily someone who's going to wreck shop and close things up. Um, Ronan feels like he can he can do the work, but we're still early in learning what he really likes to do. And Prizzo seems like he likes to be defensive, but he's not necessarily actually good at it. So that's a really interesting thing. Like, you know, Ralph Prizzo to me is um, fast and a fast and mobile but poor decision-making defensive midfielder, kind of like the opposite version of Michael Azira, right? Michael Azira was never perfect, was never the greatest guy at covering large amounts of ground with lots of speed, but he was inch-perfect with tackles. He His positioning was always very good. Ralph Prizzo, positioning's not very good. Um, uh, decision-making is not inch-perfect, 
but the kid covers ground. So the question, though, then becomes like, maybe he gets that down. Maybe it's a timing thing. Maybe it's like Lala Sabubakar, who early in seasons tends to make um, inch wrong decisions that ultimately end in fouls or penalties. Um, but over the season, typically winds up getting it right over and over and over again as is defensively strong. So maybe Ralph Prizzo is still just in that early learning phase. I don't know. But my point is, um, Cole Bassett's kind of offensive-minded. Ralph Prizzo's not necessarily a great D-mid. Connor Ronan is kind of a both-ways guy. Um, Brian Acosta is probably who um, uh, Robin Frazier is going to bring in late to close games out. Um, Jack Price is is a solid defender, but not as young as he used to be. There's not a lot of defensive shields on this team. Um, and so the depth in midfield is a bit of a question. Um, you know, we, we, we saw some, some recent depth in the back line issues immediately brought up, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, uh, an injury forced the Rapids to make a move. Um, and so we're already seeing the team is delving into its depth and it seems to not be going super well. So those are my thoughts on, on midfield depth, Matt. Are we ready to move off of this game? Have we big thing to everything to death? Uh, well, the only th- uh, two things that I want to talk about, Mark, first one on the field and everything. Um, Mark, I think we agree that Kevin Cabral has to be worked in the lineup at some point. He started in the friendly on Sunday against the Denver University, the University of Denver Pioneers for Rapids 2. And Frazier had an interesting quote in postgame media availability about Cabral and his progress, given that he's been a sub for the first two games. Quote, There's been a spark in him probably over the last three weeks that feels like he's getting comfortable understanding what's being asked of him. He's been more and more dangerous in training. He's assimilating well. Mark, I have to think that he's on the up and given what Barnes and Nicholson haven't brought for the team. I want to believe that he's starting at San Jose for for this Sunday. Um, And then I guess the only other big thing that I have, we've touched on most of them, Mark, but... Mark, we got to talk about the P word being said in the South stance that got picked up. Um, by multiple people on the south side um, in the stadium, got picked up by John Babiak, who was shooting from the south side of the stand um, for Burgundy Wave on Saturday. And from multiple people I spoke to who were watching the game from Apple TV, it got picked up loud and clear on the um, uh, on the broadcast on there. Got a full statement from the Colorado Rapids and uh, from uh, Brendan Plone at the Denver Post originally. Quote, the league has been made aware of it was hurt. Uh, it was hurt. The, the P word was said on the broadcast. Um, as a club, we obviously strongly condemn that sort of language. It has no place in our stadium, in the game, and in the sport at all. We are uh, will be looking more into that. Uh, Mark, Brendan, and I have reached out to the league for comment. Um, there are protocols that exist within um, CONCACAF that are existing for both the club and then at the uh, at the country level in terms of that being heard, what to do um, in terms of getting announcement, potentially suspending the match or abandoning the match entirely. The video that I saw, folks, that again is only anecdotal, um, it would have been to the left, I guess, to the west of 117. So it's not obvious to me, Mark, that the P word was actually being said in 117 or 118 where C38 was at. C38 posted a very lengthy and I think comprehensive statement on their Instagram on Monday or Tuesday. 
Tuesday um, condemning it, saying that, you know, unfortunately that's happened. They took responsibility for that being a part of their culture in the past. The Locos condemned it. C-38 condemned it. They said anybody who, um, you know, said that and is found out from C-38 will be expelled and everything, um, promoting a culture of see something, say something, and yeah. that um, they'll be stamping this out going forward and working with what is now a healthy relationship with the stewards and the stadium security on the south side as well. I, listeners, I should not have to tell you P-U-T-O is it is very well understood in the di- in the Mexican dialect of Spanish. That is a word of hate. Yeah. That is a word of homophobia. It does not belong in our lexicon as Spanish speakers, bilingual or native. It does not belong in our game. It does not belong in our stadiums at all. I feel like we've had this conversation a million times, but just like just to be clear, this is not. But I am. I'm disgusted, Mark, that we're having to have this conversation again, given how much I felt like we already buried this proverbial hatchet on this. I look forward to C3A and Rapids community and the club and the league seeing this as an opportunity to stamp this out and making an example of the people who have said this and who will say this in the future, that they're not a you are not a part of the Rapids community if you say the P word on goal kicks as far as I'm concerned. You're not a highliner. You're not someone that I want to interact with or anything. I look forward to rooting this out and stem and root mark and never having to talk about this again Woo. i'll say two things just to add to that one is um on the instagram the rapids wrote in their club statement uh some words that i'd never really seen from this club which was really interesting as a club that prides itself on inclusive values and providing a safe and welcoming environment for all we were incredibly disappointed to learn that the detestable p chant emerged during our game on saturday yada 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 i just never seen language like detestable come out of the rapids pr machine which i was impressed with that's point one point two is um i think something new that i've never really said in my time covering the rapids and i've written about the p chant um, for burgundy wave way back in the day i think back when matt was uh knee high to a bug i mean it was a long time ago um but there's something new afoot with the Rapids that I've been thinking about for the last couple weeks. And it's it, it's regarding um, the time change for um, broadcasting and the partnership with Apple, which is the idea of the time change uh, for games is because Apple wants it. And Apple wants it because they've paid a lot of money for these games. And also... Um, the implication is this, um, the team, the, 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 the deal with Apple is so lucrative. There's so much money in it that the TV deal is now more valuable than the gate for the teams, right? And so the TV really matters. And I'll add that there's this new wrinkle, right? Under Fox Sports, under ESPN, under, um, like, you know, uh, NBC Sports, you know, it, these were soccer. These were companies that understood soccer culture, and also kind of like were from the old line, and they kind of understood that like sports fans are going to misbehave. Spanish-speaking sports fans have been saying the P chant for a long time. There was kind of an old boy network. We sort of understand this, and also there was a fact of like they probably weren't paying enough for the rights that it, they didn't. They didn't they weren't going to exert their will over teams in the league. It's a new day. There's a new sheriff in town. Apple is a hugely traded 
corporate entity that does not want to be associated with homophobia. Full stop. And I'm saying this in a realpolitik, like, look at the stock shares and how they're trading. Apple is a much larger brand than Fox or NBC or any of these they're other companies. They're bigger than MLS, Mark. They're a huge, huge corporate entity. They're an, a massive company. They don't want this on their reputation, on their balance sheet. They don't want their tens of thousands of employees nationwide and worldwide to be tarnished with the reputation that they're associated with a sport that has homophobia in it. And they have the money and they have the resources to stamp it out. And they can put their foot up Don Garber's you-know-what to make him jump. And that means that if they have to train 50 separate cameras in Section 117, 118, and 119 to individually ban every individual who yells the chant, they will do so because they cannot be associated with this. And more importantly, because they they aren't going to play Big Brother um, on this to the Rapids, I'm interpreting, and I could be wrong about this, the new language, the strong language from the Colorado Rapids um, regarding this as a very clear indication that they've been chastised. They've been told, like, we know you guys have had folks in 117 yelling the P-chant for a decade. This is not cool anymore. You're not allowed to do it anymore. Um, You can't let it slide. And if you have to hire 50 stewards to walk in there and crack heads... Walk in there and crack heads. Metaphorically speaking, you're not going to catch a beating from a yellow jacketed dude just because you said a homophobic slur. But if you're going to, if you're going to, I'll say this not to our highliners because they would never say that, but to highliners who know highliners, who know non-highliners, who know P-chant yellers, right? If you think you're going to get away with this over the rest of this season, I think you're likely to lose your season pass for the rest of the year if you're going to do this. I think this might be, and I say this optimistically, and you know me, I'm always an optimist, Matt. This might be the last showdown at the OK Corral. This might be the last time this ever happens because it won't be tolerated anymore. I hope so. Mark, let me go through some news and notes and ask some rhetorical questions for our listeners. Um, uh, we got an official, Mark, when was this? This would have been on March 7th, which would have been yesterday at time of recording. So on Tuesday, folks, uh, the Colorado Rapids announced that they had recalled Michael Edwards um, from his loan with San Antonio FC. Mark, outside of internal loans, like when the Rapids, outside of like the switchbacks and then like R2 in the academy, maybe. I have to imagine this is one of the shortest loans in club history. 11 days, maybe the week that Sam Vines came back for when he was at Charlotte Independence uh, in 2018, question mark, and he got brought back. So his first game at DSG was that friendly against Boga Juniors and then went back the next week as well. One of the shortest loans. That is because, folks, um, Moise Bambito has sustained a a minor ACL injury that will have him out for a few weeks. Joseph Samuelson over at Burgundy Wave and originally Brendan Plone with the reporting on that. So it's an opportunity mark for Mike Edwards, who we've seen hasn't really been able to break into the first team. So this is now an opportunity for him. And hopefully this is just a minor bump in the road for Moist Bombito, who I had seen Mark in training. And I had heard from multiple people were really, really impressed with him coming out of preseason in Orlando and then training in Colorado as well. So hopefully Moist is able to get back out there on the field and be a viable bench center back for the Colorado Rapids. If not, Mike Edwards, maybe this is your opportunity to finally break in. And Abubakar Keita 
Mensa is off the injury list as well, so maybe he finally makes the bench as well. Mark, though, as I mentioned, I think it'll be Lawless and Andreas Maxu with Danny coming on the bench, coming on the bench for Saturday against San Jose Earthquakes. Um, I do think it is a valid question mark where all of these knee injuries that we've seen now in the last 13 months for the Colorado Rapids are happening. Hopefully the new relationship with UC Health being the shirt sponsor gets some resources to where they're able to suss that out and prevent that from certainly happening. And then as I reported earlier this week, Mark, off of um, the new pitch being ready that was installed late last year after the Fish concert, um, the Colorado Rapids have been looking into doing an internal feasibility study to upgrade some of their practice facilities, either the the surfaces, um, the infrastructure, the technology that they have, and the uh, maintenance procedures around the fields to be a little bit more weather resistant um, and then more adaptable to winter so that coming out of preseason, um, you don't have the issues that the Rapids have had the last couple weeks where the fields are almost in their own preseason form due to coming out of winter and everything. And so that could include installing turf fields, that could include ripping up and improving the subterranean infrastructure that you have for that, or maybe changing the procedures so that it weathers winter a little bit better and is then is ready to go and be a viable surface for the team now that MLS is probably going to be kicking off in February with League's Cup. Before we go to the San Jose Earthquakes, Rabbi, tell our listeners about Substack. Listeners, we are supported by you, our loyal listeners, to this year's podcast. We love doing this. We love following the Rapids, driving out to training, flying to road games, interviewing players. We love spending our day off of our day jobs, writing soccer articles for holding the Highline Substack and for Burgundy Wave. But we also love to pay our rent and occasionally hoist a pint provided by our listeners as a thank you for our efforts. So if you can, help us out by subscribing to our Substack. You can become a paid supporter, a.k.a. a Highliner, by putting in just $5 a month or $42 a year. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year, a beer mug or stein, design pending, and some behind-the-paywall articles. In fact, we have a new piece of behind-the-paywall audio that we'd like to provide for you. It's some outtakes from um, some earlier recordings that we did this year. Um, You'll be supporting Citizen Soccer Journalism, and we appreciate it. We also have one additional bonus offer for anyone who's interested. If you sign up in the next week and you would want one, we still have some holding the high line uh, in uh, a Zero We Trust shirts floating around, and I will send you one if you sign up to be a Highliner in the next week. So send us your money, support this podcast, support the, our Substack, support our work on soccer, and you will be the owner of a beautiful, artful t-shirt with the beautiful face of the patron saint, Michael Azira, right across the front. Back to you, Matt. Listeners, this coming Saturday, March 11th at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time, the Colorado Rapids will head out to PayPal Park in San Jose, California to play the San Jose Earthquakes. We are currently 234th through the Colorado Rapids 2023 MLS season. They're currently 11th in the Western Conference. We're moving on up, Mark. We started at the bottom in week one. Now we're here. They have one point (laughs) off of two games played. They have a record of 0-1-1 and and still a goal difference of negative four away from the Richard this season. They are 0-1-0. San Jose currently find themselves seventh in the Western Conference, three points off of two games played, one win, one loss, no draws, and a goal difference of zero. And at PayPal Park, they are 1-0-1. That win coming over the Vancouver Whitecaps this past weekend. 
Mark, I look at the players for the San Jose Earthquakes. They've improved themselves defensively. I still have some question marks about their ceiling in the attack, but I look at the lineup and who they've added and everything. You know, you've got uh, the goalkeeper, Daniel, coming in from Internacional. That's certainly an improvement over where they were in the past. Their holding midfielder, grizzled, no-nonsense, uh, is Carlos Guerrezo, who's come in from FC Augsburg. Um, and then Jonathan Mensa comes over from Columbus Crew in an interleague trade to the San Jose Earthquakes. They've mostly been lining up Mark in a 4-3-3, so it's been Jonathan Mensa and then Rodriguez, a newer-ish center back for them in goal. Should be pointed out, folks, Shea Salinas has retired, so don't expect to see him as a fullback Aww. super sub late in the season. I know, we're officially done with the Goonies, Mark. No no Bash Brothers, no Wando, no Shea Salinas. Uh, Jerome Montero, who you'll know from the Philadelphia Union, is in midfielder in midfield with the aforementioned Grezo and then Jackson Ewell. Um, so Grezo at the 6, I'd say Ewell as the 8-6, and then Montero as the 8-10. Jackson Ewell, a one-time competitor with Kellen Acosta for getting on the national team. I think that time's probably done for Ewell, certainly, Mark. And then front three, a bunch of exciting semi-young players. Kate Cowell, their Cole Bassett, who usually is deployed as a left winger. Jeremy Abobasi finally getting a chance to start. Rapids fans, you'll remember him mostly for his time at the Portland Timbers. And then Christian Espinoza, who's been their 10, usually a central attacking midfielder in past years for the Quakes, Mark, has been as a right winger, but he usually likes to cut inside, where Kay Cal is definitely more of the channel runny. So I guess the if we were to make an analogy here, Mark, in this situation, I would say uh, Christian Espinoza is the very good DP Mexican equivalent of Sam Nicholson. Kay Cal, very much more the Johnny Lewis, um, Michael Barrios archetype and everything. Mark, the San Jose Earthquakes have played the Vancouver Whitecaps and Real Salt Lake, so I have no idea if this team is good because I don't know about any of those three. I think they're improved defensively. I think they're certainly going to fight really hard. I think their ceiling's clearly... Um, not at a very high level, and certainly if Cade Cowell gets sold this summer, I don't think this team's going to be a playoff team. That being said, we've seen the Rapids go to San Jose, play poorly, get something go against them, cough, cough, handball against Nathan, who's injured for this game, I should point out, folks, and find ways to gift the lowly San Jose Earthquakes points where good teams, great teams that would expect to have a home playoff game, would go into San Jose and absolutely beat up the Quakes. Matt, are you asking me a question? Yes. What's the question, Matt? Give me a question. Are the San Jose Earthquakes good? What should we expect from this game? I like them. I, I was waiting for you to tee me up, but you, you might as well have just teed me up. I like them. So I watched Atlanta and San Jose in the first week of the season, um, and it, the scoreline is they took the L, they lost 2-1, to one, but if you watch the game, they were in control of this game until extra time. They lost on two extra time goals that Atlanta pumped in that were shocking in terms of how quickly San Jose kind of collapsed and fell apart at the end. But they were beating Atlanta in their home opener in Atlanta um, for 90 minutes, and they just kind of let up at the very end and and kind of fell apart. Jeremy Bobasi scored a really lovely goal on a great cross in the 12th minute. Um He's he scored another goal in their last match against Vancouver. Dude just likes to chew bubble gum and bang in goals, and he's always out of bubble gum. I mean, that's just where Ibobasi is. He's really phenomenal. He had a really phenomenal year last year. I am a huge Jeremy Ibobasi stan. Um, I think he was 
you know, sniffing at the national team if it weren't for the fact that the national team was A, going to Qatar, and B, kind of like loaded for bear. But I really felt like he was in he was in a good spot to, to potentially be on that list of, of flying off. And, and looking back on what happened in Qatar, I sometimes wonder whether, you know, if they had brought him or Daryl DK, that would not have been a better decision for them. But I digress. Um, this team front to back is very good. I think your comment about Kate Cowell is very interesting. Um, he's only 19 years old. He, uh, hasn't, he didn't really put together much of a season last year. That kid is all potential and no, um, no, no results yet. But I think this is the year that people expect him to break out. Um, that addition that they made along the back line was a very good one. Um, and this is a team, uh, that, really went from being uh, problematic at the back to suddenly being a solid team. So they added this guy Rodriguez out of Brazil and that they were still kind of one player away. And then right before the season started, they added Jonathan Mensa, um, formerly a backline mate of Lalas Abubakar in Columbus. Um, And Mensa's great. I mean, he's getting up there in years. He's 32 years old, but I still think he gets the job done. If you don't need him to be a mobile chase-you-down center back, um, he's a very, very good player. So I really like this team front to back. I think the other um, note, I think Gruezo solves a big problem that they had. I really like Jackson Ewell now that he's, I think, got the right players around him. He's not making up for the failings of other guys on his team. I think he's being deployed in exactly the way he needs to, which is he's kind of a Will Trap, Jack Price, ping it long cover medium amounts of ground, um, you know, but not necessarily have to be dribbly or uh, a, a destroyer. You know, he, he really does the things you need him to do, and they've surrounded him with the guys who will do the things that he does not do. Um, the only caveat to everything I've said, folks, is there's something weird about me that I look at the San Jose earthquakes year after year, and I get excited and then I'm perpetually disappointed. Like, I'm pretty sure I picked them the year, one of the years they w- won the Wooden Spoon to finish, like, third in the Western Conference. Like, I look at this team, and I see exciting things, and I see potential, and then usually I'm wrong. So this year, I knew that. I really wanted to put them at, like, seventh or even fifth in the Western Conference. But when I did my preseason predictions, I put them at tenth. Why? For the no other reason than I always overrate the San Jose Earthquakes. So maybe this is the year that they that they disappoint me by being better than I expect them to have been. Um, the last thing I'll say on this is they um, let uh, Tommy Thompson go at the end of last season and then re-signed him um, in the offseason. And Thompson has historically played, um, he's been a forward, he's been a winger, um, he's now basically uh, kind of a relief right back. Um, and he's just a, a joy to watch as always. So this will be a good game for the Rapids. They, um, they always, uh, have a, a fun time. The only really disappointing thing, uh, for me folks is that this is my first West coast game with a seven thirty start time, eight thirty for you in, um, the Rocky mountains and ten thirty at night for me here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, if this game um, goes its regular time, it will end at nearly one o'clock in the morning for me, and I do not like that. Yeah, I, 
I I I wanted. It's too early for to say it's a game that the Rapids have to win, but I think it's a had better win mark if San Jose is where we think they are, and if we think that the Rapids are making incremental improvements. I think a brawl starts in this game and certainly provides something more dynamic in the attack. Even though San Jose has improved defensively, I still think they're a team that's going to rely on transition. And I think the Rapids have shown that they're, yeah. they're a team that can get in the half spaces. And I'm not sure that this back line can run with the horses that the Rapids are going to have. If we're talking mm-hmm. about Yappi, Bassett, hopefully Cabral starting as well. Maybe Jonathan Lewis back, but we'll see. Um, and if Jack Price is back to the point where Ronan's bulldogging it in the midfield against Grazo, Mark, I, I feel feel very confident in saying that the Rapids midfield would have the upper hand in that. So if you're talking about two teams coming in in a 4-3-3, um, kind of the the next determining factor other than maybe the nuances of the shape difference that teams are running out of their base formation is ultimately who has the ball and then who's dictating play. I have to think the Rapids are going to be able to dictate play, whether they're relying on what they do in transition, where they had some nice moments against Seattle Sounders, um, albeit after it was already 3-0, or if they're in possession that they're going to be able to break down the San Jose Earthquakes. If it's Cabral starting, folks, and then if it's one of Rubio or Price that are back as well on paper. The Rapids should have a better 11 than the San Jose Earthquakes do. I think they have to at least get a, a result in this one. But Mark, it's, it's San Jose. It's early season MLS as well. We're still trying to calibrate where teams are, other than confirming that St. Louis is going undefeated and going to win the and going to win the supporter <laughs> shield and everything. So he's kidding, folks. He's he's not he's not serious hesitate to give out a prediction in this one because the other two were obvious of like oh road game in your first game with a bunch of new players at Seattle you're probably losing that one home game against Sporting Kansas City could probably be a draw just given how these teams are and everything San Jose is there um San Jose is top of the list mark they're in the top tier of MLS when it comes to the chaos meter I have no idea what's going to happen the Rapids could win 3-0 they could lose 3-0 could end 3-3 with multiple red cards and any one of those results could have nothing to do could absolutely in no way reflect the performance as well if you ask me right now I'll take a nil-nil or a 1-1 draw interesting um I'll give this one a uh, I think this one's going to be a, let's call it a wild one and a 2-2 draw. I feel like both teams have um, scoring to happen. I also think, like, Darren Yappi is a great uh, fantasy league by low. Uh, you know, he had, he nearly had three goals this last week. Um, you know, most folks are just going to avoid all Rapids players because of the assumption that they're trash. Um, Darren Yappi is the guy you should stash uh, away for cheap on your fantasy bench, but he's going to score this week. I think he's going to he's going to finally break in, break the duck. But Jeremy Abobasi also is a guy who tends to score week after week. So two two, uh, one goal for each of those guys. Mark, anything else we want to say about this game, or shall we get out of here? Let's call it a day. Matt, uh, tell them how to hit us up on the socials, how to read our written content, and uh, how fantastic our Substack is. And how fantastic your work is for Burgundy Wave these days. Oh, yeah. Um, I will have an update, hopefully, in the next week or two, folks, about the future of Burgundy Wave. One thing that I can I can do. We're not, we're not going away. Burgundy Wave Yay! is gone past, uh, past April 1st of 2023. No April Fool's joke there. But listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at LWS Matt Pollard, at Soccer underscore Rabbi, and at Rapids 96 Podcast. Check out all of our content, Rapids-related or otherwise, at our substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. 
burgundywave.com, last word on sports.com backslash soccer and Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Send us your questions on Twitter using the hashtag AskHTHL or email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Listeners, we'll see you next week after hopefully three points in the Bay Area. Peace!